it's impossible to have an intelligent conversation on any current topic without discussing China, whether that's our health or the economy or our nation's security, Afghanistan, world politics, uh, Christmas presents. It doesn't matter. Whatever we're talking about, China's at the center of almost all of it. And perhaps the best expert in the world on China is our good friend Gordon Chang. And we have him back in the economic war room. And we're going to talk in this episode about our health, the coronavirus, the Chinese response, and what we need to do going forward. Welcome, Gordon. Thank you so much, Kevin. You know, I really believe that. There is nothing in our life today that you can exclude China from the conversation. It's a part of everything. It is a part of everything because the Chinese believe that they should rule the world. And they're even talking now about ruling the near parts of the solar system, Mars and the moon. Um, so, yes, we do got to talk about China when we discuss this because their ambitions are the greatest of any leader in history, Xi Jinping. It really is scary. And, and I've seen, you know, who his heroes, uh, Mao, Hitler, uh, Stalin, are the heroes of this guy. And, and he's just awakened the rest of the world to what a threat China can be under communist rule. Yeah. When you talk about health, for instance, talk about coronavirus, I mean, the estimates of number of deaths are controversial, but Johns Hopkins says 4.7 million people. I mean, and this is something that Xi Jinping, he deliberately did. He, we don't know how this thing started, and probably a lab leak, but we do know that Xi Jinping lied about contagiousness. He told the world it was not transmissible when he knew that it was highly contagious. And then he pressured other countries to accept arrivals from China without restriction while he was locking down his own country. You put those two things together, and the only explanation is that he wanted to spread this disease beyond China's borders, which means that those 4.7 million people, each one is a murder. Wow. And it, and it does look like it was purposeful, at least in response, certainly, um, maybe perhaps even in, in the original release. But he also went further. He influenced the major organizations. He influenced Lancet. He influenced uh, the World Health Organization. I mean, he was really pushing this narrative that we swallowed hook, line, and sinker here in America. Yes, and, and that really dominated the conversation. Uh, and it did, you know, it's like these tipping point things. Um, he, he was just setting the global narrative until people had enough. And it's, I sort of look at it as uh, the World Health Organization's mission to um, Wuhan in January and February of this year. Um, once they issued their report um, a few months later, people said, oh, my gosh, this is not right. You know, you had the World Health Assembly meeting. China said no more investigations on, China's, on Chinese soil. And then people understood, some of them for the first time, that Beijing was hiding information. And that crystallized views, not only in the United States, but elsewhere. Well, let's walk through a little bit about the original release to the public of information and then China's response to that and what they did in their economy and with our economy with travel and so forth. Yeah. Well, we know sometime, and, and this is the U.S. the unclassified summary of the U.S. Intelligence Committee report, which was um, released on August 27th. 
uh, and they said there was an infection um, around November 2019. If you look at the Harvard Medical School study, though, it looks like doctors in Wuhan knew that there was an infectious disease sometime in August. Mm. Other people have said October. That's the um, Republicans on the House uh, Foreign Affairs Committee. Um, so it's in that time frame that this disease started. And the question is how? Um, most people, I think, now are coming around to the view that a lab leak is probable. Um, Intentional or accidental or? Um, depends. Um, what is, I think it's an accidental leak. But what's really interesting is the people who are Chinese nationals, when you talk to them, they say it was purposeful, which means that they have a view of their own regime, which is much more of a vicious organization than we do. Um, I think it's accidental, and the reason is they wouldn't have released it to sort of test it out unless they had the vaccine beforehand, and they obviously didn't, because China's five vaccines are ineffective, maybe even unsafe, um, and we're learning more, you know, more and more countries sure. are rejecting the Chinese vaccine if they have access to Pfizer or Moderna or Johnson & Johnson or AstraZeneca, which is a real indication that the Chinese were well behind the curve. I think this was an accident. Um, that's a very long conversation. Um, but yeah. Were we funding it? Were we funding some of this? Research? Absolutely, Kevin. Um, you know, Dr. Fauci, um, in his Senate testimony in uh, May and July of this year, in response to questions from Rand Paul, the Kentucky Republican, said no, this, his National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease did not uh, fund gain-of-function research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. He was very clear about that. But there are two papers, one from published in 2016, the other in 2017, which made it clear that there was gain-of-function experimentation at the Wuhan Institute of Virology and that Dr. Fauci's institute, in fact, funded it because those papers actually referenced the funding mm. from Dr. Fauci. They even have... Um, Fauci's numbers, um, you know, his institute had numbers for each fund, uh, each uh, funding proposal. They're right there. So clearly either he committed perjury or he just didn't know what his institute was doing, which means gross negligence, which means that essentially Fauci should resign or should he should be fired. Yeah, well, he did this dance with uh, semantics, and he played wor word changes and substituted what the definition of gain of function was and all that. Uh, those are indications of somebody who's very guilty. Yes. Well, when you look at those papers, it was clear that they were taking pathogens and making them more lethal or um, more contagious, so more transmissible. So, yes, this is gain of function. That's that's why it was being done in China rather than the U.S. because in 2014, the Obama administration had uh, this moratorium on fe federal funding and research on gain of function in the U.S. So what I think happened is that they decided, you know, we've heard Fauci talk about how gain of function is really important and why the world should do it despite the risks. And that goes back to, I guess, what, uh, 2012 or so. So he wanted to do this. So he did it. He did it through a cutout, which is Echo Health Alliance, the New York NGO. So he funded Echo Health, Echo Health, and they knew that this money was then going to be transferred to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And what's even worse, Kevin, as of this moment, there are still federal funding of military-linked institutions 
in China regarding disease. Oh, wow. We're going to have to take a break. Uh, when we come back, I want to talk about the economic warfare implications of letting a virus out. So we'll take a break and we'll be right back. Speaking with Gordon Chang, we've learned that uh, there are probably two reasons we've been kept in the dark about the coronavirus. One of them is the Chinese uh, lab leaked it, and the other is that the United States was funding some of that Chinese research. You put those two together and you've got a lot of guilty people covering up a lot, and that's kept us from knowing what happened. But this became an economic weapon. And Gordon, what did the Chinese do economically once they knew this was leaked and out? Well, what they did was there was a massive propaganda campaign on lockdowns. And I think that they wanted to do this because they wanted to undercut the, uh, the economic power of the United States. Um, so it was clear. I mean, we don't even have to guess their motive because they've been, they were telling us day in, day out. And, and really all the other things they did, Kevin, was they then started to say, well, this disease didn't start in China. It was brought to China by the U.S. military. Right. There was that infamous March 12, 2020 tweet from the foreign ministry that suggests that the U.S. Army did it. But then in that tweet, which is official, by the way, because it was official foreign ministry account, they then said coronavirus patient zero is in the U.S. Wow. So they're saying it definitely started here. And then um, this year they've carried this through because there's so much propaganda about how this thing probably started in Frederick, Maryland. In other words, Fort Detrick. So um, this is warfare. This is propaganda warfare. And it's intended um, to tar us. The other thing they did, um, which is both economic and political is that they're saying that because Beijing has handled the coronavirus well, their form of governance is superior to democracy. They make this point all the time about how poorly the U.S. has done in handling coronavirus, and that's a reflection on our form of governance. So this really goes to a core um, issue, and that is Beijing believes that it will take over the world because communism is better than democracy. Oh, they're truly communists. There's no doubt about that. They're making that plain every single day, the way they're treating their media celebrities, their billionaire, so-called billionaires and so forth. But they did a step further. I was on, um, on the phone with one of the largest suppliers of PPE in the country, and they really did scoop up that uh, personal protection equipment, didn't they? Well, they did. Um in that interim early period, December, January 2020, what we saw was China was starting to withhold um, personal protective equipment. Um, Maria Bartiromo, um, she said on air on uh, Fox News, Fox Business, that they turned around at least one ship on the high seas that had personal protective equipment heading to New York hospitals. And this during the period in, in early 2020 when they weren't telling the world what was going on. So that is a sense also. And, and they were selling masks for $8 a piece and all the rest of it. So there's an economic component to this. And, and China did very well in exports in uh, the early part of uh, last year. And that was what propelled their economy. I mean, I don't think they had the growth that they reported for last year, but to the extent they had growth, it was exports. Do they ever have the growth that they report? Um, most of the time, no. Yeah. I mean, there are very limited times when they have underreported growth because it was politically, um, there was a political gain to do it. 
but that's like about 2%, 1% of the time. And especially over the last half decade, they've never done that. And the reason is the Chinese economy is slowing down. And uh, that's true right now. And we can see it in a number of different symptoms that don't occur in a period of the growth that they're reporting. But that doesn't prove the superiority of communism, so they can't let that be seen. They can't let that out. You know, I was on the phone. Uh, Steve Bannon called me and said, what do you know about this PPE? Probably in January of last year. And so I got him on the phone with my friend that's this large supplier, and they had, uh, they had large amounts of it confiscated that they'd bought that, that, that was supposed to have been theirs, uh, that uh, they just canceled the sale or whatever, but they had large amounts of PPE that was not uh, out, let out of China. Yeah, and, and Peter Navarro mentioned that uh, one American factory making the N95 mask was actually expropriated. Wow. Well, and the, the, what happened with the travel? Didn't they do some sort of travel ban uh, inside China and then, and then allowed outside? What they did was they locked down Wuhan and surrounding cities, plus some other locations in China. And at the same time, they were, as I said, Xi Jinping was pressuring other countries not to impose these travel restrictions and quarantines on arrivals from China. So specifically, when President Trump imposed those restrictions on January 31st of last year, Beijing then unleashed this propaganda campaign about how that was xenophobic. Um, but fortunately, President Trump stood his ground. Um, but this was part of their campaign to deliberately spread this disease. I mean, China has this notion of comprehensive uh, national power, CNP. They borrowed it from the Soviets. It's a series of metrics to measure the strength of a country. And Xi Jinping, we don't know exactly what he was thinking, but if after having seen what coronavirus did to cripple China, if he wanted to level the playing field by um, spreading it elsewhere, he would have done exactly what he did. And the reasoning is, under CNP, you can get the number one ranking if you strengthen your own country. No problem in doing that. Every country should try to strengthen their ranking. But if you weaken everybody else, mm. you make yourself stronger on a relative basis. And that's what I think Xi Jinping was doing. He saw that China was weakened. He was going to level the playing field by weakening everybody else, by deliberately spreading this disease. And I believe that when you look at what he did, in, especially in January of last year, there is no other explanation that this was a deliberate spread of the disease beyond China's borders. What scares me is he learned from, if it was leaked from a lab, he learned from that and then adapted policy to weaken us and strengthen themselves. What are they learning from now? What, what are their thoughts now? You know, I think the Chinese military has seen, um, you know, everyone was, used to say, oh, biological weapons, they're not really practical. You can't really use them effectively against an opponent. I think what Beijing has learned is that they are very effective, um, especially if it were before um, the start of hostilities, because they could see what happened to the United States and what is happening today. It's not only the fatalities, but it's also the lockdowns. And this has enormous economic impact on us. So I think the Chinese military said these things actually work. And we know that they're working on a new form of pathogens, these quote unquote specific ethnic genetic attacks. In other words, pathogens that would leave Chinese people immune, but sicken and kill everybody else. Well, so that's really scary. Is that uh, scientifically possible? We don't know. I mean. Um, but we do know one thing, Kevin, and that is that for about a half decade, uh, Chinese military researchers have been talking about this in public. Um, and they've been doing it not just 
um, in, in minor publications. For instance, China's National Defense University publishes something called the Science of Military Strategy. Their 2017 edition talked about this new type of biological warfare. So it's out there. So we can assume that they're doing this. And also, what is interesting is they're scooping up the DNA of foreigners. Mm -hmm. The world's biggest collection of DNA profiles of Americans is not in America. It's in China. And they're prohibiting the transfer of DNA profiles of Chinese people out of China. That is consistent with an attempt to develop these new type of pathogens. Well, we're going to have to take another break. I don't want to get away from this topic. I want to continue down that because that is one of the scariest sci-fi movies you can imagine. So... We'll take a break and we'll be right back. We've been talking with Gordon Chang. We've been talking about China's aspirations and some of the weapons that they may be using. And he brought up one of the most frightening futuristic concepts that it, I don't know how else to describe it. It's a bad sci-fi movie that uh, you know kills a bunch of people and, and uh, enslaves the rest of them. And that is the idea of a uh, bioweapon that ethnically targets individuals, maybe prevents the Chinese from getting sick, but uh, the rest of the world gets sick. So, G Gordon, we talked about whether or not it's possible. They're working on it, there's no doubt. And the last thing you said was, you said that, that they're scooping up uh, all of our DNA information they can literally target into, down to the individual level potentially with that. Well, for sure. So, for instance, you know, ancestry companies, um, you have your DNA analyzed. Well, there, um, about a half year ago, there were 23 or so Chinese or Chinese-linked institutions that were certified to provide uh, DNA sequencing for these ancestry companies and others. We have these research partnerships between American institutions and Chinese ones. Um, and also they bought Complete Genomics, um, which had one of the largest collections of DNA profiles. That was in 2013. So in many different ways, they are collecting DNA profiles of Americans. And um, I think that they believe that this is actually possible. And I'll just give you an example. You know, my wife is from Hong Kong. And when she was growing up, um, during flu season, she, Chinese people would get flu, but it'd be very mild. Among the Chinese people in Hong Kong, flu season was thought to be a British disease mm. because it affected the British disproportionately. Well, what's the coronavirus? I mean, it's just sort of a, a variant of the flu. Um, so I think that they indeed are trying to perfect these specific ethnic genetic attacks. Um, Bill Gertz um, has written about this, about how American officials are deeply concerned that China's doing this type of research. So we have to assume that they're some way along the path. That's not to say that they have gotten there yet, um, but it is to say that uh, we've got to be concerned because these are civilization killers. Because the next pathogen from China could actually just leave China as the world's only viable society. Wow. And that is, uh, that is consistent with what they are trying to do, which is rule the world. Well, one of the things they've learned from this is, is they, in general, can get away with it. They, they, if, if it's true that they released, the virus was released accidentally or otherwise, if it's true that they lied about it, and that's pretty well documented, uh, and, and if it's true that they capitalized on it, they've learned the lesson. This is effective. Oh, absolutely. And this is a really important point you raised because Xi Jinping right now, he knows what he did. Um, this was deliberate. This is actually the first time one nation has attacked all the others in the world. And 
nobody's imposed costs on China for doing this. So that means in his mind that he can spread the next pathogen with impunity. So, you know, people talk about justice, they talk about compensation. Yes, those are important. Um, but what's really important is deterrence. We have to deter Xi Jinping from spreading the next disease. And right now we've given him incentives to do so. Yeah, well, you look, he, there's no doubt that the Chinese preferred Donald Trump out of the White House. He was no friend of the, of the Communist Party there. Um, and now they see potentially a very weak uh, American president, particularly after Afghanistan. So if they're going to do something, they might try and do it during this administration. Yeah, I mean, the mentality of Chinese leaders right now, just in general, you know, go beyond Biden, Trump, and whatever, their belief was that the U.S. is in terminal decline. And uh, according, you know, we're, we're starting to see also hints that they believe that political disarray in Washington. Thank you, General Milley, um, for getting that notion across to the Chinese, which is another story. But the point is, the Chinese have generally had this notion that they were going to take over the world. And so they have looked at Biden as a particular target. We know this because Di Dongsheng, that academic from Renmin University in Beijing, gave that infamous November 28th uh, seminar, which was broadcast around China, where he specifically says, during the Trump years, our levers of influence in Washington were broken. Trump wasn't listening to Wall Street. He wasn't listening to Henry Kissinger. We couldn't influence Trump. But they were saying that with Biden about to be coming into the Oval Office, because this was November 28th, right. that they expected that they would again be able to determine outcomes at the highest level of the American political system because their friends in the United States would have influence with the president. And by the way, Di Dongsheng mentioned Hunter Biden. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So what should we be doing about it? I mean, we, we have a potentially conflicted president. Uh, but this is a serious problem. I think both sides of the aisle, this should be a nonpartisan issue. Uh, what do we do, particularly on the health issue, on, on this? How do we stop the bioweapon development? How do we respond as a nation? Uh, I think we start with truth by getting the truth out there. But what, what else do we do? Well, on, on just the biological issues, first of all, we've got to stop immediately all of this funding of research in Chinese institutions, because these are just military linked, um, all of them, because of the doctrine of civil military fusion. Um, but also we need to impose those costs on Xi Jinping, because right now we've just given him incentives to spread the next disease. We need to deter him, which means one way or another, either by ourselves or with our allies and friends, we need to impose those costs. Now, in general, I think that we need to stop funding China. Um, we need to cut trade, we need to cut investment, cut all these technical cooperation agreements, force them to disgorge all the U.S. tech companies that they bought. We need to cut relations. And the reason is they use every point of contact to overwhelm American society. And, and right now our FBI is overwhelmed, local law enforcement is overwhelmed, everybody is overwhelmed. Until we are sure we can deal with China, we need to cut those contacts to the bone. Uh, eliminate them. And then if we figure out we can sort of get along with them at a lower level of contact, maybe. But right now, this is a matter of saving our country because we can lose it, Kevin. It's existential. It's, this is existential. Yeah, there's no question. And, and uh, this has been a part of the Chinese, um, I don't know if you call it doctrine or strategy. It's unrestricted warfare, and they've been perpetrating Absolutely. it for two decades. Economics, they've been hammering our economy. 
and, and nobody's called them on it. And in fact, most of the institutions have been bought by the Chinese. You know, when we think about how pervasive their influence is throughout American society, it really is scary. And that's why we have to cut these contacts, because if we don't, the Chinese are just going to determine what occurs in Washington, what occurs on Wall Street. And, and that is just completely unacceptable. So yes, we've, we've got to do something which people will say is drastic, but it is absolutely necessary. Uh, thank you, Gordon. I appreciate you coming back to the Economic War Room. I want to have you back again. We'll talk about the Chinese con economy and some of the internal issues they're facing. Thank you, Kevin. So th this is a very real problem. It, it is the dominant problem in our economy. We see the changes in unemployment. People, you know, desperate to hire and get people needing jobs, and it's not fitting. And a lot of it's all of it is driven by this virus. Before the virus hit, we were undoubtedly on a stronger economic path. We need to realize what we see as a marketplace, our enemies view as a battle space, and this is no exception. So you need to go to economicwarroom.com and download the free battle plan that comes with this week's episode. This is Kevin Freeman from the Economic War Room.